episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by Asana, a work management software tool that we use to run pretty much everything in our business, all of our meetings, all of our product launches, all of our tasks, and I'm going to show you how you can try it for free a little later. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jance. My guest today is Alan Stein Jr. He is a corporate performance coach, speaker, author of a book we're going to talk about today called Raise Your Game, High Performance Secrets from the Best of the Best. So Alan, thanks for joining me. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, well, so in the introduction of the book, you tell a story about uh, your days as a basketball performance coach, where you taught some pretty high profile athletes uh, how to raise their athleticism and mind-body connection. I wonder if we could start there and tell me what that looked like. Absolutely. You know, for me, basketball was my first identifiable passion. I fell in love with the game at probably five or six years old. Uh, and I'm turning 43 in a couple of days and, and basketball has been a major pillar of my life, uh, since that time. So almost four decades. And yeah, I had a pretty interesting career while I was, I was able to see some really great players at younger ages before they made it big, kind of the before picture. And I was able to, to observe some really high level players in the unseen hours after they had made it big, kind of the after picture. And I've really tried to, to curate from both sides of that spectrum and, and come up with a list of, of principles and, and habits and routines and mindsets that anyone in any walk of life, but most certainly business, you know, can apply to their performance. So let's start with a baseline. Are there just a few things or maybe a lot of things that successful people do differently? You know, I think it's a small handful. I mean, and and you could probably expand the list, but they'd probably all connect back to the the foundational pillars. And and one of the the main principles of the book and and I use as a guiding principle in my life and everything I do is to never get bored with the basics. That that what it takes to be successful in any endeavor is usually very basic in premise. Uh, but it's never easy to do. And, and I, I always make sure to, to differentiate between the two that just because something is basic, it doesn't mean that it's easy. And, and a lot of people treat those as synonyms and they're most certainly not. Yeah. I know it's almost cliche to say, but it's like shoot your free throws, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And you know, perfect example in the game of basketball, you know, uh, one of the, the most basic components is simply footwork you know, your movement efficiency on the court. And when a player uh, puts in the hours to master their footwork, it makes all of the other skills in the game go up. You know, they're shooting, they're passing, they're rebounding, their defense, because all of that stuff starts at their feet. Um, and, and lots of times when I'm working with leaders and working in business, um, I make the analogy uh, that that listening is the footwork of business or of leadership or of sales, because the only way you can truly lead others or the only way you can sell anything or solve a problem is if you're listening, you need to listen to your, your clients or your customers or patients or members or whatever your terminology is, but you have to really listen to make sure that you're able to solve their problem. And, and listening is, is a skill that all of us uh, should and continue to practice on a regular basis, the same way elite NBA players practice their footwork every single day. And that's probably a little counterintuitive for a lot of leaders, isn't it? Because I mean, they sometimes, and I've I'm guilty of this. I feel like people are there to have me tell them what to do rather than listen. And I, I and I think you're, oh, you're suggesting it's just the opposite is is the skill you need to develop. Well, it's both. I mean, I mean, you are clearly a subject matter expert and you're a professional speaker. So people 
pay you to come in and actually teach and to talk. Uh, but my guess would be that in order for you to make sure that you're delivering the right content on time to the right people, uh, there was some listening going along the way, maybe in the form of a pre-event call or some pre-event questionnaire, or when you're really getting a feel for who you're going to deliver to uh, in any capacity, you have to make sure you're doing the listening and, and same thing in sales. You know, when it, when it comes to sales and I know we share a lot of mutual friends that are really high, you know, on, on the sales professional list and they all say that telling is not selling that in order to really find that good fit, you have to ask insightful questions first to really get the Intel to make sure that your product or service is the right fit for them. And if it is the right fit and you ask them the right questions, you won't have to convince them to buy anyway. They're going to convince themselves because you're asking the right questions. And, and same thing with, with leaders, you know, when you ask people questions and you listen to their answers, unconsciously you're telling them that you care about them and that they're important and that you value them. And, and that's one of the most important traits of a leader is making sure that the, the people on their team know that the leader cares about them on and off the court or in and out of the boardroom. Yeah, and I think it also goes to empowerment too, because if if they know that you're going to give them the answer every time they ask a question, you know, why should they try to figure it out themselves? And I and I think that that's um, that's a habit that we can really get into too. Oh, absolutely, you nailed that perfectly, and that's so insightful. And and I know in my own journey, you know, when I was a younger coach, I didn't listen very well because I was too busy trying to show everyone how smart I thought I was, and and I wanted you know to kind of puff out my chest and and give the answer to everything. And then as I started to get older and hopefully wiser and more mature, uh, I started to realize that I had that backwards, that, that you should go through, go through life with your eyes and ears as open as possible and, uh, you know, keep your mouth closed until it's, it's time to really share something of value. Well, I think this actually goes to the heart of what we've been discussing. And you said one of the first steps, and again, I think this is early on in the book, you said one of the first steps is you have to first learn how to live present. Yes. And I, that is one of the most important skills for any human being, but it's vital for performance in sport or in business. And, and really the, the short definition of living present is to be where your feet are and wherever your feet are, that's where your head and your heart should be as well. And I know that may sound obvious, but, uh, in today's day and age where we, we have so many digital distractions, uh, that's not always the case. I mean, you could picture uh, you and I going out to a friendly lunch and I'm staring at my phone the entire time we're at lunch. Uh, so clearly there's going to be a disconnect between us. And, and what I'm telling you unconsciously is that whatever's on my phone is more important than you are. And, and that unconscious message, if done consistently, is going to ro erode any type of connection uh, that you and I have. And it's so important for people to realize we are always communicating a message. Even when you don't think you're communicating, you are communicating. And in that instance, I would be communicating to you that my phone is more important than you are. And that uh, from, a, from a leadership standpoint, from a friendship standpoint, from a teammate standpoint, uh, is going in the wrong direction. Yeah. How am I supposed to feel when I discover I'm two rungs below a cat video, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it's, it's almost not even that much work to make analogies in business and sports, <laughs> is it? Um, right. You, you, you um, take that kind of full circle, no pun intended, if you were looking at the book. Um, you have a graphic that talks about this, this circle of, of, you know, kind of player, coach, team, employee, manager, organization. So I want to dive into a couple of the, the ways or, or the things that you talk about having to develop, but kind of set that stage for that 
and that employee manager organization player coach team analogy. Yeah, I found there's just tremendous crossover and and I've lived both because even in my 20 years as a basketball performance coach, I was always working in the private sector. I always had my own training business. So I've been an entrepreneur since since day 1. I mean, I've I've never had a corporate job or a quote unquote real job as an adult. Uh so I've been able to see firsthand, you know, uh, the symmetry and the alignment and the harmony between what's required to excel in sport and what's required to excel in business. And it, it just goes back to those foundational principles and pillars. I mean, clearly the the X's and O's uh, and the tactical sides are going to be different, but the principles don't really change. And and so really what it would take to have uh, the, an elite culture and a winning culture for a basketball team is the same as it is for business. And the only major difference is many businesses just have to do it at a higher scale. I mean, you know, a basketball team is going to have a head coach, a couple of assistants, 14, 15 players, maybe a couple managers, whereas these principles could still be applied to a business that has a thousand uh, employees, uh, but the principles stay the same. Well, and I think that it's become very common today to talk about my team, you know, in my department and to even talk about a manager as as a mentor or, or a coach as part of their kind of responsibility. So I think it's it's certainly not a stretch at all. No, it's not. Oh, and I was going to say what, what I've been really encouraging basketball coaches to do is to make sure they're learning from entrepreneurs and executives and people in the business world. I mean, what you said, and you nailed it perfectly. I mean, this has been going on for decades where businesses will bring in athletes or more times coaches or general managers to talk to their teams. And, and everyone's always trying to pull from sport to business. Uh, but the inverse is, is very much the same. And, you know, a, a smart coach would find a local business owner that's created a championship level culture is thriving and, and has had long term sustainable results and get pick that person's brain for what they're doing. Because, again, it's the same stuff. Hey, as I said in the intro, this is brought to you by Asana. It's a work management software tool that we've been using for a long time, our entire team. It just allows us to be so much more productive, to unify our communication, to keep track of tasks, to assign and delegate, pretty much run everything from meetings all the way up through our client work. And you can get it and try it free for 30 days because you are a listener. So get started at Asana dot com slash duct tape that's asana a-s-a-n-a dot com slash duct tape so you break the book then from from that point on into this employee manager business and uh, or maybe it's organization um, and you kind of talk about things that you need to develop and I, and what's interesting is when you talk about the employee i think the employee has to develop those but the manager has to maybe see that as their responsibility to help them Develop some of those, and one of the uh, the ones I, I, I you have each of those broken into four, five, six different uh, chunks. But I want to kind of maybe riff on a, on three of them. Um, sure. Because uh, the first one, I think it's the first one for uh, employee. I think is actually the hardest for individuals. Period, and that's this idea of of developing or helping them develop self awareness. How the heck do you do that? Yes, and that is that is a tough one, and it's. It's also important to note that it's, it's a continual journey. It's, it's never, you never arrive. I mean, no one should be able to, to stick their stake in the ground and say, I'm 100% self-aware. Uh, there's going to be varying degrees of it. And, and funny enough. Yeah, that would actually indicate you were not, right? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yes. And it's it, once you think you've arrived, you haven't. Uh, but but funny enough, and I know this may sound counterintuitive, uh, many times the way we need to either acquire self-awareness or at least heighten and strengthen it 
is by asking others. And, and I don't mean random people off the street. Ask the people that know us the best. Uh, close family and friends and colleagues and and coworkers that really know us because all of us we can't see our own blind spots. Now we can have the the humility and the foresight to know that we have blind spots, but that's why they're called blind spots because we don't know what they are and we don't know what we don't know. So the key is once you believe that you have some self awareness and you're aware of of what's good and what's bad and and, and what, you know, what, what your dreams are as well as what your fears and insecurities are, then you need to ask other people and see if there's, uh, there's an accuracy there. And, and perfect example, I'll just use listening because I brought it up earlier. You know, if, if, if I believe that I'm a great listener, but you ask the five people closest to me and they all say that I'm not, well, then I'm probably not. It really doesn't matter what I think. What's most important is, is kind of the result of what's going on in real life. And that's, that's where uh, if you have the humility to ask those, you can increase that or decrease that gap between what you believe is true and what others are seeing is true. And it always reminds me of uh, a funny quote I heard from a comedian. He said, if the audience doesn't laugh, it's not funny. Like that's the definition of a joke. If, if they don't laugh, it's not funny. They're the judge and the jury. And he said, it doesn't matter if I think it's funny. It doesn't matter if my comedian friends thinks it's funny. The people in the audience, if they don't laugh, then it's not funny. And it, it's the same thing with self-awareness. No matter how good of a listener you think you are, if those around you don't think you are, then there's a major disconnect. In the manager category, the one that uh, popped out to me is servant because I'm not sure managers always view their role as servant. Yeah. Well, it's the, the, the concept of, of servant leadership, I mean, has been around forever, but it's really the mindset that everything I do is to add value to others is to fill others buckets that it's, it's not in degradation of yourself. You still need to fill your own bucket first in order to fill others, but everything you're doing is trying to raise others up. And that, that should be a true leader's mentality. It, it shouldn't be for any other reason other than the fact you're trying to elevate somebody else's game and then collectively, you know, elevate your entire organization. But the, the servanthood mindset, uh, at least all of the elite leaders I've been around, uh, that's one they've, they've adopted right from the get go. And I'll tell you in my own experience, um, how that role is both a positive and a negative is when it comes to kind of taking credit for stuff. Um, I think some of the best leaders, when good things happen, give the team credit. Um, and sometimes not so evolved leaders, you know, need the credit. Very well said. Yes. And you are correct. And I, and I, I think that usually comes from an insecurity that, that they're not confident enough, uh, in who they are as a leader that they feel like they need that credit uh, to kind of kind of puff up their chest, if you will. So let's go to the organization. Um, again, you had five or six characteristics there, and and one that I I'd love to hear you kind of expand is role clarity being um, essential. Yeah, that one is absolutely vital. And and as I work with a variety of different organizations, it's usually one that that trips people up. Uh, one. They, they simply make the assumption that everybody on the team knows with tremendous clarity what their specific role is. And many times that's not the case. So it's so important for every person in the organization to know exactly how they fit into the grand scheme of things. And, and I've always felt that a, a team or an organization is simply a jigsaw puzzle. And every single person is a different piece with, with different knobs and different holes that are going to fit together differently. And it's it's vital that everybody knows what their role is so that they can then embrace that role and then star in that role 
whatever it may be. And, and of course, organizations, there's going to be varying levels of roles and responsibilities. And, and you may play a much bigger role uh, in our organization than I do, but mine is still important because even without my little puzzle piece, we can't finish the picture or the collage. So every piece matters. And lots of times people don't even know what their role is. And then if they do know it, they don't take pride in fulfilling it because they want a different role. And that's where we start to see dysfunction. You know, I loved what you said earlier about the idea that you're always communicating something. And I think that that's, you know, I think that's one of the challenges with role clarity is a lot of times we are communicating role dysfunction, if you will. Um, and, and that's where it gets really tough to, so, so it's something that you have to actually not only define, but redefine and redefine and re, you know, resupport. And I don't think it ever goes away, does it? No, it doesn't. And, and you brought up a great point there because this happens all of the time. When we talk about communicating when you don't think you're communicating, uh, let's take delegating, for example. Uh, so, so you and I are teammates on our organization, and I delegate an important task to you. Not menial work, an important task, a big proposal or what have you. Unconsciously, I'm communicating to you that I trust you, John. I know that you're competent. I believe in you. I know that you're going to do this as well as I could do it, or maybe even better. You're the right person to do it. And clearly that's going to deepen our connection between each other. That's going to build trust. Whereas what a lot of people do would be micromanage. I hand you an important task and I stand over your shoulder the entire time, which again communicates now a different message that I don't trust you. I don't believe in you. In fact, I think you're too big of a moron to get this right unless I'm standing right over your shoulder. So now I'm eroding our connection and I'm, I'm creating more friction and more dysfunction. And, and I know more times than not, I mean, that's done with great intention. You know, lots of times when we micromanage, it's because we're, we're so particular about the way we want things done and we have such a high standard of excellence. We want it done the right way and we want it done our way, but we forget that we are, we're communicating that different message. And, and that's again, where, where roles will start to get uh, some ambiguity and some fog uh, and we don't want that. And, and one more thing I'll say on roles, it, it's one thing to have the right people on your team, but you also have to make sure they're in the right seats on the bus and for it to be a great fit is I'm going to put things, your role with our organization are going to be things that you enjoy doing and you're really good at doing. And the more of your role that are those two things, then the higher you'll perform. If I give you a whole bunch of things that you enjoy doing, but you're not very good at, well, then we're all going to suffer because the work's going to be poor. And if I give you things that, that you're good at, but you really don't enjoy doing them, then it's, it's, it's going to be tough to keep you motivated long-term. So, uh, this is where we can shift things around and, and especially in a, in a diverse organization, there might be some things that are in your current job description that you don't really enjoy, but someone else on the team would love to do those things. And that's where we can shift around. You know, I, I'm not really a, a spreadsheet kind of guy. I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a high IQ guy. I'm a high EQ guy. So if a good portion of my job description was to do paperwork and fill out Excel spreadsheets, you know, I, I'm not going to enjoy my work, but you know, as well as I do, there's probably someone else that loves that. They would much rather do that than interface with other human beings. They would love to just pop on a podcast like yours and work on spreadsheets all day. So why don't we take that off of my plate, put that on their plate and everybody wins. I'm happier, they're happier, and the quality of work goes up. So that would be an example of how we can kind of shift job descriptions and roles around to make sure that the team wins. Visiting with Alan Stein, Jr., author of Raise Your Game. So Alan, tell us where people can find out more about you, your work, and raise your game. 
Well, if they like, if they're interested in the book, they can go to raiseyourgamebook.com. Uh, or if they want to find out more about the stuff I've got going on, you can just go to allensteinjr.com. And I'm at allensteinjr on Instagram, LinkedIn, all the social channels, and, and love engaging with folks on there. Awesome. We'll have <clears throat> links, of course, in the show notes. So, Alan, thanks for taking a few moments to visit with us on the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast, and uh, hopefully we'll run into you someday out there on the road. Sounds great. My pleasure. I appreciate you. 